Welcome back to Sleep for Performance Radio with Ian Dunikin. Today is Audio Abstract Day and we are looking at a new paper called The Prevalence of Sleep Disorders and Sleep Problems in an Elite Super Union Team. Welcome back to Sleep for Performance Radio. Nearly a month till Christmas, although people are advertising in the shop since about August. Soon Christmas will go from January to December. Don't know about you, but I don't know. It drives me crazy. <laughs> okay, so today we are looking at the prevalence of sleep disorders and the sleep problems in an elite super rugby union team. This paper was published yesterday at the end of October, although you'll be getting this episode in the middle to late November. This paper was written by yours truly. Um, That's me, if you are confused about that one. And uh, some of the guys at the University of Western Australia. So this paper is quite an interesting one because when we looked across the literature in terms of sports research, there is very little done on sort of sleep disorders in, in sports. And there's actually no papers or studies that we could find looking at in-laboratory polysomnography um, in elite athletes. So one of the benefits or one of the aims of this, sorry, more so this of this study was to quantify the prevalence of sleep disorders and sleep problems in an elite uh, athletic population. And that's using the gold standard polysomnography in laboratory. So as in terms of a bit of a background, uh, for you, for those of you who don't know, there's over 80 uh, recognized sleep disorders as classified by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Now, the most prevalent or most popular ones of those are obstructive sleep apnea, OSA, which is basically a cessation of breathing during sleep. Insomnia, which many people may have experienced, either falling asleep insomnia uh, during the night or waking up early. And then during the day, restless leg syndrome and then overnight periodic leg movement disorder. So one of the reasons we looked at sleep disorders is because they are associated with um, short and long-term health consequences such as hypertension, diabetes, obesity and so on, not just related to performance. And we do see as well in other similar sports such as the NFL in America that a lot of these players who have similar characteristics to rugby union players, you know, high BMIs, big kind of guys, um, that about 19% of these players reported having um, obstructive sleep apnea as measured by a level 4 polysomnography device. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about the methodology in a moment in this study and the difference between them. And we also see that um, across ice hockey as well and other American football studies that it can be anywhere from 8 to 19% of these athletes reporting uh, potential prevalence of obstructive sleep apnea. Similarly as well with insomnia, we see high levels of insomnia being reported and uh you know these can be anywhere from four percent up to twelve percent depending on the sport and even some other studies using questionnaires have said that between 60 and 80 percent of athletes may potentially have uh, insomnia the problem with a lot of these studies that have been done is a lot of them have been based upon questionnaires and not many of them have been done um in lab uh, in laboratory actually none of them have been done in laboratory to our knowledge um some have used what's called level 2 psg 
So basically what we have is we have level one PSG, which is in laboratory gold standard polysomnography. You've got level two, which is like a home based study, which is like a cut down version of the in laboratory one, but is quite good as well. You also have level three, which reduces number of channels and, and sort of data points. And then you've got level four, which be one of the more weaker ones, which would generally probably just measure airflow, body position, pulse oximetry. And so as you go from one down to four, the less channels you get and the less kind of data you can collect. And then you would have actigraphy, which would sit outside that, which is like the ready band, which we spoke about before. So for this study, this was a full in laboratory polysomnography study that was conducted at the University of Western Australia. So, you know, um, in the paper, it describes exactly uh, the multitude of the you know, sort of measures that were collected from these athletes. We also looked at sleep behavior as well. So when we extracted the data out from this as well, uh, from this from the overnight study, uh, we looked at sleep architecture and the prevalence of any of those eighty sleep disorders as assessed against the American Academy of Sleep Medicine criteria. So typically, to give you a brief overview, um, someone comes into the laboratory on five or six o'clock in the evening. They get set up. Takes them about uh, forty-five minutes to an hour to be set up to undergo one of these overnight PSG tests. Um, they then may have watched TV, read a book, whatever it might be. We asked them to follow basically uh, their normal pre-bed routine. Um, then they go to sleep. Uh, somebody stays awake in the control room, which in this case was myself or Madison Jones, who was one of the co-authors as well. And we observed the the, the guys sleeping in the laboratory overnight. Um, we looked at a range of measures in the control room from EEG and we had cameras, EOG, eye movement and so on. But mainly our main goal there is overnight is just to make sure the signal is good that's coming off these um, different kind of receptors and also then to look out for the safety and security of those people being asleep. And then after that, then we kind of go into scoring the data and doing statistical analysis. So that gives you a bit of an idea of what goes on. The athlete or the person would sleep then for like anywhere from eight to nine hours in that overnight um, laboratory and then they're free to go the next morning. We don't try to hamper too much what they do because we do want to get a representative night of sleep. And all we're looking for here is the prevalence of sleep disorders. This is not representative of kind of, you know, normal sleep night in, night out. We do understand that there is problems with the amount of sleep that some of these guys would achieve due to all these wires being on them. So saying that, what did we find? Well, we had 36 players uh, from a pool. 11 were unavailable due to being selected to play in the Rugby World Cup in 2015 or were competing in other international and domestic rugby competitions in Japan and New Zealand. So this kind of gives you a bit of an idea of the calibre of the players that we are dealing with. In the end, we have 25 players who took part in this study. Um, one player um, from the backs um, sort of had some technical issues and so... We, we had some sort of reduced signals off those guys, and that's quite normal to have. Um, but overall, we had 11 people from the backs. This is a grouping position in rugby, and 14 from the forwards, uh, which are basically bigger, heavier type guys. In saying that, they're all pretty big overall. They were an average age of 25 years of age, plus or minus four years. And the average mean mass or weight was 104 kilos, plus or minus 10. So these guys are pretty big dudes. Okay. So overall, there were no differences between forwards and backs. Um, you know, as you would expect, there are some slight weight differences within the forwards and they can be observed in table one. Um, the forwards were, were generally heavier than the backs. So I think the forwards were like 110 kilos and the backs were about 96 kilos, but again, all pretty big. And BMIs were quite high overall with an average BMI of 30. Although on saying that, 
BMI is probably not a great measure in these guys because it would have lower body fat than the normal population. So let's look at what we found in the numbers, sleep behavior and sleep architecture. So overall, um, the study duration um, for these guys and time in bed and total sleep time were quite normal. So time in bed was approximately four and a half hours. Out of that, they got about six and a half hours sleep, which is not too bad considering that uh, they were wired up. Uh, it's pretty poor sleep um, can occur in these labs. Sleep efficiency was about 88%, which is quite good. Time to fall asleep was 13 minutes. And that's an important measure because this shows that there's really no issue with sleep onset insomnia. Uh, wake after sleep onset was 39 minutes. And this may indicate, you know, sort of insomnia overnight. But these values were in normal ranges, as was the sleep architecture, the percentage of time that they spent in different stages of sleep. Um, what we did find um, in terms of breathing, arousal, movement and snoring, overall the average hypopnea, apnea hypopnea index was 4, which is below the threshold for OSA, which is normally 5. Um, but in those people who did have a high um, apnea, uh, ha, ap, apnea hypopnea index, AHI, um, we found 6 of those people were scored in that range for having potentially OSA and 18 not having OSA um, and that was also we also saw some increase in the desaturations as well which is also accompanied by increasing um, obstructive sleep apnea so we have six people there uh, with potentially having OSA from this study um, as we move down and we look at some more of the sleep data we see um, differences between forwards and backs. There was no real difference between them in terms of any of those breathing, arousal, movement, and scoring. We did think that maybe the forwards would have a higher prevalence of obstructive sleep apnea compared to the backs, but that wasn't the case based upon their size. Um, we did find three people with periodic leg movement uh, disorder overnight, um, and they had basically more movement in their lower legs, um, and that was assessed against the criteria in the American Academy of Sleep Medicine as well. We also administered a number of uh, sleep-related questionnaires. Um, we found that Epward sleepiness scale, which is a measure of daytime sleepiness, was extremely high overall. So 15 overall, and so ending over 10 is, is very high in daytime sleepiness. Insomnia severity index was reported as high as well, a score of 11. So ending over here, you know, sort of between 6 and 11, and uh, 6 and 12 uh, would indicate you know, sort of mild insomnia. These guys were at the top end and nobody scored positive for restless leg syndrome on the questionnaires. So quite interesting data coming from there. Very high daytime sleepiness and high reporting of insomnia. But what's interesting about that is that there was no correlation between those measures and the measures that were coming out of the objective uh, data from the polysomnography. And the Berlin questionnaire, which is a measure of potentially have an obstructive sleep apnea. We found that two athletes reported positive to having this, um, but there was no relationship with those um, athletes and the prevalence of obstructive sleep apnea. So yeah, pretty interesting overall. So what does this mean really in terms of sport? Well, you know, looking aside from the amount of sleep that they got, because that would be representative of kind of in-season uh, sleep, 
Um, but when we look at the potential sleep disorders, we do find here that obstructive sleep apnea, defined as having an AHI of greater than five events during a PSG test, was present in 24% of these rugby players. So this is higher than other, um, other reports from studies in NFL, um, where prevalence rates were anywhere from 14 to 19%. We had 24%. Um, in saying that those um, prevalence rates of obstructive sleep apnea were by probably slightly inferior methodologies of assessing um, obstructive sleep apnea, so there could be some difference in the in the scoring there. Um, and then if we look at sort of general population related to this, this group, you know, for people in the same age, we find that 17% of men aged between 30 to 39 um, would have an AHI greater than 5. And in other papers then, which is in similar groups to these guys, 25 to 34, only 4% of Australians would have, you know, um, obstructive sleep apnea. Now, even though we found no, no relationship in the BMI and the obstructive sleep apnea, this wasn't of great surprise because other papers have found the same thing. And like I said earlier, this may be related to a difference in body mass in terms of lower fat uh, levels compared to the general population. So another one too is when we looked at the Berlin questionnaire and the outward sleepiness scale, we found no relationship uh, between these and the objective measures, as I said, which would be, um, we, we would have thought that there would have been some relationship with these, but there was none. And then when we look at um, periodic movement disorder, you know, we had the gold standard here of assessing periodic movement disorder with e EMG on the lower legs and the fibula and tibula. And like I say, we found three athletes here, um, or 12% of this group having periodic leg movement disorder. And um, it's kind of hard to assess this against norms in athletes because uh, many other papers that have discussed restless legs or periodic movement disorder are basically questionnaire-based and um, you can't really compare them against this objective measure. With insomnia, and we said about those three ways of insomnia can be categorized. Um, even though the guys in the study reported having sub-threshold insomnia, there was no relationship again with any of the objective measures of um, insomnia that we may extract from PSG being the time to fall asleep, wake after sleep onset, or even early morning awakenings. Um, so, um, yeah, while a lot of guys reported that, we didn't see any of these issues. Now, these may be more present or more prevalent in an in-season, um, when trend load is high, there's a lot of travel involved as well, and these factors may contribute um, to the amount of awakenings. We certainly did see in another paper that we did with the same team that at the night after a game, um, that there was excessive awakenings, um, which was mostly caused by probably nighttime games, excessive caffeine consumption, and even post-game celebrations as well, and media commitments. So all of these factors uh, could re could uh, contribute to the uh, potential over-reporting of insomnia. So in terms of implications for importance, obviously sleep is, you know, the number one tool that people can use for uh, recovery, particularly in rugby union and some other athletes um, have participated in studies by uh, David Shearer, um, Hugh Fulliger and so on, and where they talk about the fact that sleep disorders may affect the cognitive and physical performance of these athletes. So quantifying the prevalence of sleep disorders and sleep problems in rugby uh, union is, a, is very important. And I think the benefit here as well for the individuals is that we can identify them and provide them with treatment 
not only to improve the performance in the short term and long term, but also to increase probably their longevity in the sport. And um, post post game or post um, rugby union career, we can actually help them from a long term health perspective as well, because uh, we don't want these issues getting exacerbated in later life um, uh, for these athletes. And looking after their health and well being is very important as well. Additionally, if athletes do travel and, and compete at altitude in the Super Rugby competition, some teams do go to places like Johannesburg or Pretoria in South Africa, which is about a mile high, uh, roughly. Now, this may exacerbate some of the issues um, or the inability to fall asleep, particularly with those players with OSA, because at altitudes, uh, we see that it's very difficult for people to fall asleep. And with OSA, it may be even more difficult. And so therefore it may lead to less sleep and therefore affect performance. So identifying those players with potentially having obstructive sleep apnea and uh, treating them, and particularly when they go to areas of altitude, may be very beneficial in terms of improving their performance. So overall in this study, we found that sleep disorders and excessive daytime sleepiness are common in an elite super rugby team. Uh, these findings indicate the need for a more proactive approach in the management of sleep and its disorders in a professional rugby union team. Um, such a process where you identify sleep disorders and poor sleep habits um, and you diagnose them could really you know, serve to optimise the player's physical recovery and improve athletic performance uh, during the season. And like I said, it can safeguard the long-term health of players uh, since these sleep disruptions and disorders have been associated with cardiovascular disease, diabetes cancer and early mortality so that's a quick overview of that paper that has been uh, published this month uh, just at the end of october in the journal of sports sciences um, the link to the paper will be in the show notes this paper unfortunately is behind a paywall uh, but if you email me i can send you a full uh, text copy of it or jump onto twitter there there's a lot of free copies available from the link on my twitter account um, I think the first 50 there are free. But anyway, check it out. Maybe of interest to you, not only for rugby union, but indeed for the broader athletic community. Okay, I hope you enjoyed this week's audio abstract. And um, yeah, we'll be back soon in a few weeks. Just as a quick update before we go, we are revamping the website, like I said. Um, that should be released in early January in 2019. We have a number of episodes recorded for season three of Sleep for Performance Radio as well. So we hope that we start getting those uh, episodes out a little bit before Christmas and after Christmas. We've got some great people on there um, and we may be able to throw in some special episodes every now and then. Um, so, yeah, hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you've got any feedback, uh, please hit me up on Twitter at Sleep for Perform. Ian Doonigan at sleepforperformance.com.au. Head over to the website and... Um, if you want to jump on iTunes and give us a quick review, we really appreciate that as well. Try and bump us up. And um, yeah, that's all it for this week. Until next week, sleep well.